Hebrews 11, verses 20 through 22. So find Hebrews 11 in your Bible and then stand with me. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your Son. Lord, we are so pleased that we can rejoice with the shepherds, that we can rejoice with even the angels of heaven, the heavenly host, to sing praise to your name because of the indescribable gift that you gave your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this time of year, we we want the whole world to know. And so we're part of sending our our missionaries around the world, and we're part of supporting that work. And so, Lord, we ask that you would abundantly bless uh, the taking of the gospel around the world, the teaching of your word, the training of pastors, uh, the establishment of churches. And, Lord, that we thank you that we can be part of that. But, Lord, we also just uh, look forward to being able to just sing the great Christmas carols and and to uh, uh, think about the significance of this time of year. But, Lord, we we pray that you would just work in our midst as we worship. Lord, as we uh, focus on your word, as we think through what it means to be people of faith, that you would help us to emulate the examples that we have in Scripture. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed uh, bolster our faith and strengthen us in that. And Lord, we pray once again this morning as we worship that our hearts would be set on you. Lord, that our minds would be open and receptive to all you have for us. And Lord, we again pray that there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they would come to know you today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote, Though the grace of faith is of universal use throughout the Christian life, yet it is especially so when we come to die. Faith has its greatest work to do at the very last, to help believers to finish well, so as to leave a witness behind them of the truth of God's Word and the excellencies of His ways. It is at the moment of one's death that a person's faith is most clearly seen. And the way we leave this world makes a huge difference to those who follow behind us. John MacArthur says, God is glorified when His people leave this world with their flags flying at full mast. And if anyone should die triumphantly, it should be believers. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Reformers 
of whom many were willing to die as martyrs for the sake of the gospel. Dying is a special grace from God, and there have been many examples of martyrs throughout Christian history. And yet, a life of faith is demonstrated at death, not only by those who die as martyrs, but by every true believer in Christ. And there are countless examples of those who died peacefully, knowing that they would soon see their Savior and Lord. Genuine faith is clearly demonstrated in our understanding of death. The world sees death as a great enemy, but believers see death as a great introduction, that of being introduced to our Savior and our eternal home in heaven. This is why the Bible declares, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. This is why we can see death as something positive, not having to die as those who have no hope. And listen, how we die matters. And how we demonstrate our faith in God in our final moments of earthly life can have a radical impact on those who are coming behind us. That is what is emphasized in the passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at this morning. In Hebrews eleven twenty through 22, the account of Abraham is rounded out by a tracing of his family line through Isaac and Jacob to the twelve patriarchs who are represented by Joseph. Generally speaking, we refer to all of these as patriarchs, and the three mentioned in this text illustrate the significance of faith when facing death. All three of these men demonstrated faith in a dramatic way as they were dying physically. These are men who are very familiar to anyone who has studied the Bible or been in Sunday school in and church for any period of time. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all demonstrated full, confident faith in their final hours before death. And as you probably know, all three of these men had times when they also failed to demonstrate faith. But at the end, just before entering into eternity, their faith was firm. And they were able to pass their faith on to their children as they died. They went out basking in the brilliant sunlight of genuine faith in God. And a key factor in this is that they, like Abraham, died without receiving the promises of God. They all died without seeing the promises of the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. They died without possessing any of the promised lands. But they had received the promises, and for them, that was enough. By faith, 
They pass them on to their children and even to their grandchildren. And hopefully you remember that God's covenant with Abraham included three things. The possession of the land of Canaan, the creation of a great nation from Abraham's descendants, and the promise that God would bless all the nations of the world through these descendants. And yet, Abraham never saw any of these promises come to fulfillment. And by the time of the fourth generation after him, represented by Joseph, none of these things had yet come to pass. When Abraham died, he no doubt said to Isaac something like, you are going to begin to see the beginnings of the promises come about. And when Isaac died, he said something very similar to Jacob. And Jacob did the same with Joseph. In fact, Hebrews 11.13 really applies to all of these men. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. When each of these men died... They were still fully convinced that God would ultimately keep his promises. They died with the firm conviction of things not yet seen. They died in full assurance of faith. They did not possess the promised land. They did not see a mighty nation formed in their time. They did not see the world be blessed through them, but they had God's promises, and that was enough. They never doubted that all these promises would ultimately come true. They could see these things already being fulfilled through the eyes of faith. They could claim them as if they were already a reality. They knew these promises of God would be kept because they knew God cannot lie and that he is a faithful God who is absolutely trustworthy. And although they died, they knew that God's promises could never die. They died in the victory of genuine biblical faith and the dying utterances of these men demonstrates that victory. I love the way Ron Phillips puts it. He says, These faithful men climbed the mountains of life's difficulties and with keen spiritual vision glanced over into the glorious future of all who believe. So with that in mind... Let's move now to these three examples. And we begin with Isaac, who demonstrated a forward-looking faith. Look with me at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. The original 
promise was given to Abraham, but he then passed it on to his son, Isaac. And since the promise was not fulfilled in his lifetime, he passed on the blessings of the promise by faith. And in the same way, Isaac passed on the blessings of promise to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And of course, the covenant passed on to Jacob, the younger, instead of Esau. But all they had at this point was the promise of its ultimate fulfillment. The promise itself was the inheritance. And yet these patriarchs cherished that as much as anything else in this world. They valued it above possessions, fame, and worldly power. They were absolutely certain that these promises would ultimately come to pass. In fact, if you read the biblical account, you see that God reconfirmed his covenant promises to each successive generation. Exodus 6.3 tells us that God had appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to reaffirm his covenant relationship. And it's interesting that even though Isaac lived longer than any of the other patriarchs, less attention is given to him than to any of the others. Abraham and Jacob both have 12 chapters in Genesis devoted to them, but Isaac only has two chapters, about two and a half chapters. It is probably accurate to say that Isaac was the least spectacular and the most ordinary of the descendants of Abraham. We know more about his failures than his successes. But there is one significant event that occurred in a place, a place called Gerar, which was a Philistine city. Because of a famine, Isaac had moved his family there. And while he was there, God appeared to him and said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's Genesis 26, 3. Three and four. Here is where God reaffirmed the covenant promises to Isaac. In other words, the promise was passed on directly by God. And this affirmation alone should have kept Isaac from any kind of fear, knowing that God would have to protect him to keep the covenant. And yet, at the very first sign of danger, he took things into his own hands. He proved himself faithless as he told the men of Gerar that Rebekah was his sister instead of his wife. 
And of course, he was afraid that those Philistines might kill him to take Rebekah. And in this, he's really just following in the heels of his father's footsteps because Abraham had done this same thing in regard to Sarah. But the point is, he failed to trust God for his protection. The Bible does tell us that Rebecca was very beautiful. And the Philistines were certainly not above doing what Isaac feared. But the promise of God should have led Isaac to fully trust in his protection. In fact, if you read the biblical account, God did intervene on his behalf. God providentially created a situation where the king looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. And he put two and two together. He figured it out. And interestingly, this pagan king was more concerned about the ethics of the matter than the patriarch was. In Genesis 26.10, Abimelech, the king, sharply rebuked Isaac, saying, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. MacArthur says, God's grace prevailed, though it was through an unbeliever, with no help or even expectation from Isaac. This episode demonstrates his lack of faith. And it is significant to point out that Abraham had lied like this about Sarah on two different occasions. Both men, as we know, are pointed out to us as examples of faith, and yet we see that their faith was not always ironclad. By the way, that ought to be an encouragement to us because we know we often have feet of clay. And even when we generally trust God, we also have points in our lives where our faith may falter. But in spite of his failures, God blessed Isaac and he became a wealthy man. In fact, the Philistines became envious of him and they kept stopping up all the wells that he dug. And this was used of God to bring him back into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, where he (coughs) dug a well that remained. This was in Beersheba. And there Isaac built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Again, the Lord reconfirmed the covenant. Genesis 26:24 says, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, "I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham." Now, another thing that we need to know about Isaac is that he had to trust God to provide a son for him, just as Abraham did. 
Rebecca was barren, just as Sarah had been, and Isaac prayed earnestly for a son. Genesis 25:21 says, "The Lord answered him, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. In fact, she gave birth to twin boys. And I'm sure you know the story. The oldest one was a rugged outdoorsman, a hunter who brought scrumptious meals for his father, and for that reason, he was his father's favorite son. The younger son, Jacob, was kind of a mama's boy and pretty much stayed inside. He had smooth skin instead of hairy skin like his brother. And in our day and time, we might compare Esau to a strong, athletic superstar and Jacob to a shy, stay-at-home recluse. But our focus in this passage is on what happened at the point of Isaac's death. And it is significant to remember that it was at this point that he asked Esau to go out and kill some game and prepare a savory dish for him before he pronounced his final blessing on him. And we see in the account that Isaac's intention was to put the blessing on Esau, his favorite son. And perhaps Isaac was thinking more of his stomach than the blessing, but this was his request. However, as you know, Rebecca got wind of this, and she came up with a scheme for her favorite son, Jacob, to get the blessing instead. And of course, Rebecca knew that it was God's will for Jacob to get the blessing because God had revealed to her that the older would serve the younger. But again, she felt like she had to do something to help God out here. MacArthur says the story is of no credit to Isaac, Esau, or Jacob, not to mention Rebekah. Isaac insisted on giving the blessing to the son whom he knew was not God's choice. Esau who had despised and sold his birthright, thought he could just as easily buy it back. And Jacob, at his mother's instigation, tried to secure the blessing by deception rather than by faith. Really, the entire family acted shamefully. They tried either to do the wrong thing, or they tried to do the right thing in the wrong way. And of course, God intervened in all this and accomplished His perfect will. But this seems to be anything but an example of faith. However, the example that the author of Hebrews points to is the one time in which Isaac really did demonstrate faith, and that was just before his death. Once it became obvious to Isaac that Jacob was the chosen recipient of the promise, then he bestowed the blessing on him. If Jonah is 
the reluctant prophet. Isaac is the reluctant patriarch. He finally said yes to God's way. And finally, by faith, he passed the promise down to Jacob, God's chosen recipient. Ron Phillips asks, where does faith enter into this scheme? And he answers, faith is clearly seen when Isaac, knowing he has been deceived, refuses to reverse the decree and give the blessing to Esau. In fact, we have a very interesting comment in chapter 12 of Hebrews. In verses 16 and 17, it says, Esau sold his own birthright for a single meal, and afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it. With tears. Even in the face of this weeping and pleading from his favorite son, Isaac understood the will of God for Jacob to receive the blessing. Therefore, he issued the primary blessing on Jacob, although he also gave a secondary blessing to Esau. But you could almost say that. God had to put his back against the wall before he came around to this, although he finally did. And as he faced death, he put his hands on Jacob and blessed him as the recipient of the covenant. So, in some ways, we would have to say that Isaac was a blot on the biblical record, but he ended up as an example of faith. In this important sense, he had to pass the blessing of the promise down to his son by faith because none of the patriarchs had seen any of it come to pass at this point. Secondly, we see Jacob, a feebleness overcoming faith. Look with me at verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Are you catching the theme here? These all have to do with when these men died and the blessing of the promise of the covenant that was passed down to them by faith. In this case, it is Jacob who blessed the sons of Joseph as he was leaning on the top of his staff. Why was he leaning on the top of his staff? Because he had wrestled with God, and his hip was out of joint to the end of his life. That's why I'm calling this feebleness overcoming faith. Of all the things about Jacob's life that the author of Hebrews could have focused on, he chose, inspired by the Holy Spirit to emphasize his feebleness at the end of his life. In fact, in many ways, we would have to say that Jacob's life was much like that of his father's. He was up and down as far as faith goes. 
so at one point we see him trying to bargain with God, and at another point he is readily acknowledging God's sovereign rule. In fact, God appeared to Jacob five times, and on every occasion it was for the purpose of chastening and correction. Jacob, the deceiver, had a lot of rough edges that had to be smoothed out, but at the end of his life, he was a man of faith. And like what we saw with Isaac, God reaffirmed to him the covenant promises. In Genesis 28, when Jacob saw the vision of the ladder descending from heaven, verse 13 says, And behold, The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is, of course, the restatement of the Abrahamic covenant. This promise was so precious to Jacob that much later in his life, he was so determined to have it that he wrestled with God all night long that he might obtain it. And yet, That is how he became feeble. It was at that point where God touched the socket of his hip and he ended up limping for the rest of his life. And yet, this was something that he would later glory in. His staff became really a symbol of glory to him, reminding him of his own weakness and at the same time, the power of Almighty God. But the point of emphasis here in Hebrews 11.21 is his act of faith at the very end of his life. Unlike his father, he did not try to circumvent God's will for the sons of Joseph. And as I'm sure you know, Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph was the youngest except for Benjamin. But he was the chosen seed through whom the blessing of the covenant was to pass through. Joseph himself had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Both of them were blessed by Jacob, but again, the youngest son, Ephraim, received the primary blessing. By this point, God had changed his name to Israel And according to Genesis 48, 21 and 22, then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to to the land of your fathers. And I will give you one portion more than your brothers. The blessing of the promise continues to be passed down, but in this case, a double portion of the blessing is given to the two sons of Joseph. Along with the promise, 
that God would free them from the bondage of Egypt. But again, the point is that Jacob died as a man of faith, believing God for the promise and passing on the blessing to the next generation. This leads us finally to Joseph's future instructing faith. Look with me at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. All the patriarchs died without having received the promised land. But in Joseph's case, he spent most of his adult life in Egypt, not even in Canaan, the promised land. He was the fourth generation after the covenant was given, but he could not even claim to be a sojourner on the land, much less to possess any of it. By this time, it had been over 200 years since God had made the initial promise to Abraham. 200 years of promise, but no fulfillment in sight. In fact, at the point of Joseph's death, there were no Israelites in the promised land. They were all in the land of Egypt. And the author of Hebrews does not even mention Joseph's life, only his instructions that are given at the end of his life. And of course, we know about the life of Joseph. We know that he was one of the most unfairly treated men in the Bible. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned unjustly. Yet he remained faithful to God, and God blessed him abundantly. And I'm sure you know the last part of the story. Because of a famine in Canaan, Joseph brought his father and his brothers and all of their children to the land of Egypt in order to provide for them. But they ended up becoming slaves in Egypt for many, many years. The Bible says 430 years. Jacob's body had been carried back to Canaan after he died. But in our present passage, we see where Joseph gives instructions that his bones are to be carried back there as well. He did not want his final burial place to be in Egypt, but to be in Canaan, in the land of promise. If He could not inherit the land, at least the land could inherit him. The orders concerning his bones were eventually carried out, but not until the exodus from Egypt. And once again, we have a patriarch who lived by faith, never seeing the promise fulfilled, but still clinging to it. And we read, Some of Joseph's final words in Genesis 50 and verse 24, there it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, 
to Isaac and to Jacob. He made his brothers promise that they would carry his bones up out of Egypt and bury them in the land of Canaan. And he did this by faith, fully believing that God would ultimately keep all his promises. And you know what's interesting and highly significant? That of all the events in Joseph's life, that the Spirit of God, through the author of Hebrews, could have highlighted, he chose this single one. Ron Phillips writes, the Holy Spirit could have mentioned Joseph's purity when he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. The Spirit could have chosen his conduct while in jail or his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. His faith is also illustrated in the magnanimous way in which he forgave his brothers. But rather, the Holy Spirit chose the dying utterance of Joseph. You see, folks, death is the acid test of faith. What you believe at the end of your life is what you really believe. What you believe as you step into eternity reveals what you're staking eternity upon. All these men died in faith, fully trusting God and fully believing that He would keep His promises. In addition to the earthly promises, as we have seen, they also believed in some very important eternal promises. And it was because of that they became examples of faith for us to emulate. What about you this morning? Where is your faith? Are you fully trusting in the Lord? Is your faith at that point? Maybe you're at that older stage in life. Maybe you're closer to that point of death than ever before. Are you ready to face eternity? Is your faith solidly in the Lord? Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us just to hear this with uh, sober hearts, that we would understand that the point of departure from this life is the greatest demonstration of faith. And Lord, we thank you for these examples, these men who had faith at the very end, even though they wavered at times, we see their faith was strong at the end. And Lord, our desire is for our faith to be the same. Help us to have that firm faith in you and trusting totally in you and your salvation in Christ. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't have that assurance and doesn't have that faith in Christ, I pray that they would come to put their trust fully in Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, we pray that all of us would uh, would live as people of faith, that we would demonstrate uh, these qualities that we see emulated for us in your word. So Lord, we pray once again, that as we respond, that our response would be according to your will. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.